The views and opinions expressed by individuals on the following program do not necessarily reflect those of the network, Guys Guy Radio, and its platforms. It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think and feel and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights from the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. And today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's Podgo. Go.co at podgo.co. Be sure to add our podcast, Guys Guys Radio, in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. We've got a great show for you today, a very special show. Our special guest is one of the greatest interviewers, if not the best interviewer of all time, Roy Firestone. You might remember him from his iconic scene in Jerry Maguire where he made Rod Tidwell, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character cry, and it was all based on Roy's iconic show, the award-winning show, Up Close, that he did on many years for ESPN. I watched it uh, all the time as much as I could, and in fact, one of the reasons I'm so thrilled that Roy is here, and you'll hear in my interview that I'm I'm really gushing over him because I admire him greatly, but also his show had some significance for me. I remember one summer I had a string of little bad luck, but you know, sometimes what looks like bad luck can become good luck. And in this case, I had lost a job in advertising in New York City and also lost a girlfriend. We broke up and she kind of ghosted me. So whatever, I was there. I had a little studio apartment on West 34th Street and I had to get a job. I had to get my life going. And I set up some routines to give myself because it's easy to kind of uh, when you're in the summer and it's New York City, you can just kind of go crazy out there or just go to the beach all the time. And I want to set up a routine and get a job as quickly as I could. So I do my work in the morning, I go for a run or to the gym and do some networking, set up some meetings, etc. And then I try to do my best to wrap it up at about 5.30 so I could watch Roy Firestone up close, interview one of the world's top athletes. And I, I, it really helped me because, first of all, Roy is an amazing interviewer. And secondly, it gave me, gave me a little bit of an anchor and some stability for that summer that I was working my way through to get my next position. I turned out getting a really good position based on that, not just based on that, but that, that, that helped me, that helped me kind of set a path for me to follow. And at least for guys like me, that, that, that's sometimes it's important that you have some structure and you create opportunities out of chaos. Anyhow, Roy's show was an anchor for me and Roy's performance on the show, he's won an incredible amount of Emmys and Ace Awards and it's all deserved. And he's been called not only the greatest sports broadcaster, but also the greatest interviewer, period. And I'm so thrilled he's going to be with us today, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. And, you know, 
I've never asked this before, but because this is a big show, if you enjoy the content we're bringing to help you live your very best life and you can pull some tips out of the content that our guests share, and we've done, this is the 468th show, so we've done quite a few, and there's a lot of work that goes into it, but if you like what we're doing and you want to support what we're doing, all I would ask you is that subscribe. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. You can obviously listen to the show on KCAA. But also, we have a new YouTube channel. If you want to watch the interview section of the show, it's all on YouTube. Just look up my name, Robert Manny, and it's under the title of Guys Guys TV, but you'll see us right there. And you can watch any of the shows, the video of it. So, And some people like to, they prefer to consume their media through YouTube as their preferred choice. And uh, that's just the way it is. But there's so many podcast platforms out there that we're on. And all I ask is that you give us a consideration and every subscription helps Every subscription counts, and we're very, very appreciative of all your support. So without any further ado, why don't we jump right into the interview portion of our show with my very, 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 very special guest on Guys Guys Radio, Roy Firestone. So let's get it on. Hi, Radio. Guys, guys, radio, I've got a very, very special guest. You know, a couple of months ago, I interviewed who I consider and may, many consider the world's greatest written interviewer, a fellow by the name of Larry Grobel. It went so well, we did two interviews. He even interviewed me and he taught me a lot. I consider him a mentor just from reading his books and listening to him. And I found that subconsciously, I picked up a lot of information from him that's really helped me. Well, now I've got somebody even in my opinion, the greatest sports broadcasting interview of all time. He's been called by Jim Murray of the LA Times, uh, the, uh, the late Jim Murray as the greatest interviewer of all time. So maybe Larry and Roy can fight this out, but they're both icons. So let me tell you a little bit about Roy Firestone. He's a seven-time Emmy winning and seven-time cable ACE award winning host, interviewer, narrator, writer, producer, groundbreaking original host of ESPN's legendary Up Close, Up Close Classic, and Up Close Primetime. Roy has interviewed more than 5,000 guests, and you know what? He's only made 25 of them cry. So uh, musicians, right. actors, political figures, etc. He's just done so much. I'm not going to go through the entire profile because you all know him. You all love him. He's one of my all-time favorites. I can't tell you how many times I wait until 5.30 back on the East Coast to watch Roy Firestone up close. So welcome to Guys Guys Radio, Roy Firestone. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Robert. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So let's start right at the beginning. Uh, the earliest information I could find out about you, Roy, is that you're tender as bat boy for the Baltimore Orioles during spring training in Miami. That's right. a really fun gig. How'd you get that? Basically, uh, we grew up in Miami. There were no sports teams, no professional sports team until 1966, which was the Miami Dolphins. Then there was no baseball, of course. There was no basketball, no Miami Heat. I was a kid who always couldn't wait for spring training to come to town before they moved out of Florida, mostly, a lot of them did, uh, to Arizona. Of course, there's still some teams up upstate a little bit, but I couldn't wait. I mean, it was usually the second week of March, first week in March when spring training started, but balls and bats and catchers and pitchers were going as early as the second week in February. And we're on spring break, and I said, I want to find a way to get myself in there and become get to know these players. I was probably 15 years old. So literally, I waited for the equipment truck 
to show up one day. I saw I saw notice in the paper that the equipment truck was arriving in Miami to unpack the Miami, the Baltimore Orioles team to to spring train to tra- train in uh, in Miami. So I I couldn't even drive then. My mother drove me, and I waited on the steps like a little kid, which I pretty much was. And I more or less talked my way into becoming the bat boy. And I did it for multiple springs and got to know some players. To this day, I still have very dear friends who played on those teams, Brooks Robinson being one, Jim Palmer being another. Uh, I, I knew all of them, and they all remember me as the kid. So that was really my first introduction, essentially, into becoming uh, a, a connected in any way to athletes. And by the way, my first interview probably ever was with a little you know, high school reel-to-reel tape machine with Brooks Robinson, and it didn't it didn't record. I had to come back the next day and ask him to do it again, and he did, and happily, by the way. So I had my experiences, but I think that that is one of the great introductions to sports in getting to know players literally up close and getting to know their their habits, their sandwiches, their cigarettes, their socks, whatever they <laughs> need from me. That's part of what I did. That must have been a lot of fun. You know, you've always had you've always had a passion for singing and music, and I didn't get into that in the introduction. But what inspired you to pursue a career in broadcasting? Because I've heard you say that holding the microphone and singing is your number one passion. Well, that's a that's a good point, and I appreciate that. Uh, listen, I don't pretend that I'm the best singer in the world. I think I can hold my own. Anybody who wants to make that judgment can look at me on YouTube. There's tons of stuff of me singing. But I've been a performer really for 40 years. Uh, played in Las Vegas, open for everybody from Lou Rawls to uh, Loretta Lynn. I actually did a show with Sinatra once. I always wanted to be a performer. What can I say? And I thought that sportscasting was an avenue for, for that for me to become a performer more than to be a sportscaster. So really, it was the, people think, oh, sportscasting got me a chance to, to, to perform the other way around, really. A uh, microphone to me represented me getting on stage and, and more or less holding court. And I've been doing it for a long time. I, as I said, about 40 years, I do corporate shows all over the country. I played in Las Vegas a ton. I've had experiences like that you can only dream of. I played the Grand Ole Opry. I played in Las Vegas at Bally's. I played with the Doobie Brothers. I mean, there's so many exciting things that happen in my life. And one thing I would like to say, Robert, is, you know, music or no music or whatever is people in their life, you should do what you want to do. Try, at least try it. Don't don't be uh, overwhelmed by, oh, I'll never make it. I might as well you know, become an insurance salesman. Nothing wrong with being an insurance salesman. Right. But if your passion is something like music, and, and, and in my case, I do impressions, musical impressions. I do storytelling. It's a whole variety show. And it's again, it's on YouTube. People can see it. I say do it. Life is short, man. And, and go for it. And for those people who have said, and there have been some, many of them even at ESPN, what is it that you want to do? You know, are you, you want to be a performer or you want to be a sports broadcaster? And my answer is always the same. I want to do good work, whatever that might be. I want to do good work in the performing realm or the interviewing realm or the journalism realm. As a writer, I've written four books. So I like to think there's room for everything. I really do believe that. I don't think people should be pigeonholed into doing one or another thing. Um, listen, I, I think that the world would be a happier place if people were happy and happy is usually doing what they want to do. There's a lot of miserable people who don't do what they enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I'm very, very grateful 
that I've had the opportunity to do both. I mean, I played on stages with everybody from Eddie Murphy to Jay Leno to to Jerry Seinfeld to uh, you know in, in comedy and stand up. Um, I, I listen. I don't compl- pretend that I'm in their galaxy even, but I had a chance to do it, and I it, it was more than just a George Plimpton esque. I'll give it a shot. I really was serious about it and, and did it for a long time and still am doing it. So I just enjoy it. I enjoy performing. I enjoy singing a lot. And I have a lot of great, of my favorite singers I've got a chance to meet over the years. Uh, most recently, the late, great B.J. Thomas, who was one of my favorite singers. Hooked on a feeling, love, right? Lovely guy. Lovely guy. So I'm blessed. I mean, I know it's a cliche to say, but I really believe that. Well, you know, I love that you said that, particularly for my audience, this is Guys Guys Radio. We're trying to do our very best to get information out there for guys to follow your dreams, no matter what age you are. I mean, here I am, my career was in advertising. And I remember sitting in front of the TV or going out for a run and coming back and saying, this was when I was between jobs and advertising, watching up close. I want to see who Roy had on. And then I'd watch a little bit of Sports Center, but it was really, I wanted to watch you. And now here I am, a few decades later, I'm sitting across the Zoom meeting with Roy, one of my heroes. And I know you're, we're around the same age, but you know what? You did you, you do more than hold your own. You are the best at what you do, and I really am appreciative for you being here. But let's uh, let's very, get into let's get into kind, the uh, my pleasure. Let's get into the broadcasting. You have a storied career in sports broadcasting and journalism, starting with Sports Hotline and Sports Look in 1980 on cable, leading to your game changing reign. I'll call it beginning in 1984, host of the iconic Up Close where you basically reinvented and arguably perfected the art of the in-depth interview with the world's greatest athletes and leaders in entertainment and politics. I watched you religiously, as I mentioned, at 5.30 every afternoon between my advertising gigs. And did you did you see uh, a new lane for this emergent area of sports journalism, Roy? Did you have to sell it? And, and who discovered you? Whoa, there's a bunch of questions there. First of all, I, I don't know that anyone actually discovered me. I was given an opportunity because they needed, first on the USA Network, they had to fill between periods on the USA Network, between hockey and in those days they had indoor soccer uh, on USA. So they needed a show and they, that's why they gave us uh, what we call a show called Sports Look. And Sports Look, which is kind of a corny name, uh, was basically a filler. I had an opportunity to do to do that show only seven minutes, eight minutes. And I don't know where if it's, uh, is it Malcolm Gladwell? Somebody has the theory that if you do 10,000 hours, you can excel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you can excel in almost anything. Well, I had more than 10,000 hours. I mean, I almost had 10,000 guests. And there were some early days when it wasn't so great. I wasn't so great. We couldn't even pull the kind of guests that most people would be even interested. I remember one time we interviewed Gunther Gable Will Williams, who was the lion tamer, right? And he had a thick, thick German accent. I could barely understand him. He's trying to talk about being a lion tamer, but that was one. And we had to do that interview in literally the parking lot at the forum, uh, parking lot. And then I, I would beg people to come on the show. I was at the USO. We'd park our, our, our gear. We didn't have any makeup or any of that stuff we just basically wing it just go whoever comes walked by and i'm at the u.s open and one time sure enough john mackerel so who are you and i said i might introduce myself i was so-called nobody i was probably 24 years old i said i'd really love to have you sit down with us and do a good interview and he said okay and he sits down and he and this is when john mackerel was the biggest yeah. thing in the world probably or one of the greatest tennis players in the world certainly 
And he gave me like an hour of really in-depth stuff. He was super, super open, as you know. I started realizing, you know, we all know the stats. We all have the numbers. You all see the highlights. But we don't hear anything about who they are. And um, I like to think, you know, of course, there's a lot of cliches associated with me that I make them cry and all that stuff. But I like to think that in the 5,000, really more than 5,000, close to about 8,000 now, interviews that I did, I brought out something maybe if we if it succeeded, you didn't know before about that person. And that was always intriguing to me. I'll give you an example. I don't have a show right now like that. Um, certainly trying to get it back on. We're, we're, we have some interested parties. And by the way, they are bringing it back up close on ESPN. Awesome. Uh, Sage uh, Steele is going to do it next year or maybe even late this year. And I wish her well. Uh, if I say this and arrogant or egotistical i hope it doesn't but i don't really feel that anyone does it quite the way i do it i'm just saying my honest opinion i think people are very talented i'm sure she's going to do a great job but i think that i brought something different to the equation anyway um i just did a story about a guy i'm going to hold the secret till the end who ran away from home when he was 14 years old he lived out of chicago and he ran into the reality that he was, this was right in the middle of the depression. He had no way to make a living. He became a beggar and he became a beggar. And then he started going into garbage and he started taking food out of the garbage. And he lived like that for two and a half years until he finally got a job uh, working at a radio station in Chicago. Well, the bottom line is this guy realized that his entire life was running away from poverty so anything that he taught himself, whether it would be piano, whether it would be uh, writing, he taught, he was self-taught in everything he did. He ended up becoming the greatest, in my opinion, greatest late night talk show host of all. Can I guess? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Steve Allen. It, it is Steve Allen. And he was awesome. And I never knew that. I never knew that about Steve Allen. And I interviewed Steve Allen five times, Robert. I never knew any of that stuff. If I had him on now, I'd talk about poverty because I think, that's what people are interested. I think people are interested in the backstories. I got so many backs. I'm, I'm working on a new series called Unlikely Stories. And the fact that, you know, for example, Tiger Woods' best round of 18 was a round of nine in his career was 43, 43, 43 strokes. Now people say 43 strokes. That's not, that's like an 86 over 18 right. hole. That's not even good. Well, he was three years old at the time. <laughs> now, to me, backstory is fascinating. And I'd love to, if Tiger was healthy and wanting to do my interview show, which I had him on, but I'd like to talk about what he was like at three years old. I would like to go off the beaten path. I think Larry Grubel, who you mentioned, who was my next door neighbor and one of my dearest friends, is another guy who loves to go in depth. And I believe that that is, was the success of the show and what I believe uh, gained prominence because I think deep down people don't care about the stats. They can get it anywhere. They don't care about highlights. They care about their stories. And if you're a good storyteller, I like to think I am, I think it kind of falls into place. With that in mind, you know, I went to a boxing match one time and I had a pivotal moment for me. And I realized that some people, some of these, maybe it's the alpha males or whatever, but you go to a professional boxing match. It was a Mike Tyson fight down in Atlantic City, and there was so much testosterone and so many of these alpha male athletes and incredible people. And I noticed they started in introducing everybody, both on the screen, and then I saw them in person. 
And I watched and listened to and really felt when the energy really connected. And there was two people out of all these tremendous athletes and entertainers who stood out because I felt their vibration. It was huge. And one was Don Johnson. This was at the height of Miami Vice. And everybody was like the seas parted when he walked down the aisles. And I was amazed by that. And he just has that unbelievable charisma. And the other one who was even bigger than that was Magic Johnson. So I'm wondering, you've interviewed virtually every famous athlete from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, Roy. And out of those over 500 stars that you've interviewed, were there any whose energy transcended their notoriety in sports and entertainment that really wowed you? Like, wow, this is a really special individual. Well, it's a cliche to say it now, sadly, but Kobe Bryant. I realized that this kid had something. I, I interviewed him at 18. I'll tell you a very quick story. The day we and I remind me, Robert, to get you into a Mike Mike Tyson story after I do this. Okay, so it was the first interview in Los Angeles, certainly the first television interview, and we we're at Loyola Marymount College to do the interview. And this was a rainy day, and we are all set up with our crew. And he sits down, and boom, a lightning bolt hits the 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 the, the structure, the building. It knocks all the power out and blows all of our power out, all of our lights out, everything. And so my crew says, we're going to have to reset and we're going to have to re-scramble and get all new equipment. It's going to take at least two hours. Can you tell Kobe Bryant, who was 18 now, that, you know, he could come back in two hours and we'll do it again. So I walk up to this 18-year-old kid out of high school and I said, Kobe, would it be okay if you come back? He says, no, I'm not coming back. I went, oh, God, here we go. He says, I'm staying. I said, staying? He said, yeah, I want to I want to learn. I want to learn about what you do. And he says, I want to learn about the cameras. I want to learn about the lighting. I want to learn about how, it, how it's edited. I want to learn what you use and what you don't use in this interview. I want to learn about interview. And I said, this is a rare young man. This is somebody who gets it. You know, I could talk about a lot of things about Kobe Bryant, but one of the things that really struck me about him was when he made up his mind, he wanted to be the best. Basically, he worked his ass off to become the best. So if he had idolized, and he did, Michael Jordan and saw every piece of the video that Jordan ever had out, both from Space Jam to the 94 playoffs, he'd watch every frame. And I mean every frame. He would learn how to chew the gum the same way that Michael Jordan. His voice, if you listen carefully, he has the same speaking voice as Michael Jordan. It's almost eerie. But when answer your long-winded answer to your question, I realized that I was really onto somebody who was special. And he would probably say, special doesn't matter. Luck matters, but luck only matters if you work hard. And I think, you know, he was the greatest. He had the greatest work ethic of just about anybody had ever been around in my life. And I knew that he, 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 it didn't matter if he was going to be a librarian or a mechanic or a lawyer. He would have been the best at what he did because he was dedicated. My special guest on Guys Guys Radio, Roy Firestone. Let me just, for our listeners and viewers, read a couple of the names here. There's 5,000. So Michael Jordan, Will Chamberlain, Cal Ripken, Mickey Mantle, Ray Lewis, Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, Barry Bonds, Kobe Bryant, Roger Clemens, George Steinbrenner, Hank Aaron, Sugar Ray Leonard, Oscar De La Hoya, Charles Barkley, Jim Brown, Wayne Gretzky, Magic Johnson, the list goes on and on and on. Wow. Let's get into your dealing with Bobby Knight. This is a funny one, and it's for our friend Larry. 
who calls you the greatest sports broadcaster uh, interviewer of all time. So you should know that. And he was so kind to, to connect us. How did you get Bobby Knight to remain so calm and composed during your interview? Because I know our friend, the great, great interviewer, Larry Grobel, had a little tougher time with Knight. You listening, Larry? <laughs> you even pranked Larry about this. Well, a couple of things. First of all, Bob Knight was a lot of things. He could be the, the best friend you ever had and, and the biggest enemy you ever. He could be miserably difficult and he could be very easy. It was a strange thing. He could do both. And sometimes even in the same interview, <laughs> Uh, he made things difficult for me at one point. He made things easy for me at one point. Uh, one of the regrets I have is in the middle of that choking incident, um, I didn't see the entire clip because I wanted to watch it on on the show live when I interviewed him live nationally, live. And I did not know, but ESPN made a deal with him that he wouldn't show the video. And it made me look really bad. And it really set me back a great deal professionally, but such is life. But as far as Larry Grobel, my, my wonderful friend, my next door neighbor, I he told me he's tr waiting on an interview with Bob Knight. So this is all I needed to hear. <laughs> so I came up with a practical joke. So I called him one day and I started to speak like Coach Knight. I said, Larry, yes, who is this? Larry, this is Coach Bob Knight. Oh, 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 hi, Coach Knight. How are you? Well, I'm fine, but I, I understand you want to do an interview with me. I don't really do a lot. I know, sir, I know you don't do a lot of interview, but I promise that I I will I will do a good job. Uh, no, I, I don't have doubt that you'll do a good job. The problem is I'm in Spain. You're where? I'm in Spain. Oh. I'll tell you what I'll do if you can get to Spain in the next three days, uh, stay with me in my condo. I'll give you the best interview you ever had. Oh, my goodness. I, I just have to run it by Playboy. Okay, you froze up for a Why second. Do you? I like to sit in my underwear and watch television. If you'd like to wear your underwear, too, I'd enjoy sitting there talking <laughs> to you as we watch TV. Now, now Larry's going, okay. Uh, it's not a gay thing, Larry. It's just a comfort <laughs> thing. And I want to make sure that you you sit with me in my underwear when we're in our tidy whites and we're watching old movies and I'll, I'll be open to you in an interview. Wow. Now, Larry's buying all of this and finally goes, wait a minute. Who is this? <laughs> and I said, it's me, you idiot. <laughs> But he bought all of it. He got back at me, though. He tried many, many things to get back at me. But that's one of my favorite Great. stories. I, I, put, I put one. I'm not normally a practical joker, but Larry's easy prey, if you know what I mean. But well, he's, uh, a, he's been a, a mensch, I say it, in the, in the fondest terms. And he's been very helpful to me. I have taken a lot of what he taught me subconsciously. And it's really helped me a lot. So thank you, Larry. Uh, let's talk about baseball for a minute, and then we'll get to Tyson Wright. We're from the same generation. You were a bad boy from the Orioles. You became a lifelong fan. I grew up in New Jersey. My parents took my brother and I to Yankee Stadium for Old Timers Day two or three years in a row. Mantle and Pepitone even lived in our town. So it was uh, hard not to be a Yankees fan. But for some, there's an unlikable corporate institutional aspect to the Yankees winning so much. They're supposedly buying pennants. And by the way, you interviewed George Steinbrenner. Can we talk about your hatred of the Yankees, Roy Firestone? <laughs> well, first of all, let me let me let me give you a uh, a little bit of a, a caveat to this. 
I like the Yankee players, a lot of them personally. Tino Martinez was a great guy. David Cohn was a great guy. Mickey was wonderful. Whitey was wonderful. I mean, Steinbrenner gave me a, a terrific interview. So in a strange, weird way, they were more accessible, the Yankees were, than a lot of other players and a lot of other figures from other teams. But I had an advantage because even though I despised the Yankees because I was an Oriole fan and they always sure. beat us every year, uh, it wasn't a personal thing. It was just a winning thing. Steinbrenner was a friend of mine in the sense that he saw me perform my live show. And he asked me to, uh, to perform for the United States Olympic Committee, the USOC. He was, I think, the chairman or one of the chairmen of the, of the Olympic right. Committee That's in right. Tampa. So I get up there and I do a show. And I, I mentioned Tino Martinez. He was in the audience that night. And it went really, really well. George loved it. And he gets up on the stage after I'm done, and he has a Yankee jersey that he wants me to wear and a Yankee hat. And like, you know, I don't know why George did this, but he put my name on the back of a Yankee. Of course, the Yankees don't have names on the back of their jersey. Exactly. It's one of the things that I do admire about them. They, they're very strict about their, their traditions. So he wants me to wear this jersey. And I will not allow him to put the jersey on. I said, George, this is in front of, I don't know, 2,000 people. Now, there's a little bit of nervous laughter at first because it's awkward. And I'm serious. I'm not wearing this jersey. He says, well, just put the hat on. I said, I'm not wearing the hat. He says, we know you're an Oriole fan. We're going to try to get you to convert. You're going to come back, and now you're going to be a Yankee fan forever. I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> this is on stage. <laughs> so finally, I just said, George, I'm not wearing the hat. I'm not wearing the jersey. I thank you for both. I'm going to give it away to a charity. But the Yankees suck. <laughs> I said this right in front of George, and he started to crack up, and the place went crazy. I don't know where I got the nerve to do that, but it's a true story. And I like George. I, 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 in a weird way, I know that he was narcissistic and mean and could do some horrible things and vindictive. But when he made up his mind to be a good guy, he did a lot of great things for people. That's why some narcissists, not all, but some of them can really do some good things, good deeds. I think there's Jerry Lewis is a narcissist. He raised a billion dollars of muscular dystrophy. I, I think that there's a yin and yang to, to narcissism. But anyway, back to George. So I got to know him a little bit and I, I'm doing an interview with him in Tampa and as we're setting up, I see this, the secretary in the office. I said, how, what's your name? I'm Marilyn. Hi, Marilyn. Nice to meet you. I'm Roy. Yeah. I, I said, how long have you worked for George? She goes, let me think. Five times, eight times. I said, what do you mean times? What do you mean times? <laughs> how many years did you work? She goes, oh, no, he fired me five times. And I came back. So technically, I've been back and forth eight different times. I said, why do you come back? He says, because it doesn't mean anything for him to fire me one day. The next day, I'm just there. I just never believed that I've been fired. And, and so I said, tell me something about George that no one would believe. I said, she goes, easy. George loves circuses, and he loves fairs, and he loves roller, roller coasters. I said, whoa. I said, that's interesting. I said, but that's not that interesting. He goes, well, she goes, well, wait, I tell you the next thing. He'll wear disguises, get on a plane and fly across country to go to a fair as somebody just to ride the roller coaster. And sometimes when he sees fairs are in, quote, disrepair or needy for finance, Hillsborough Fair was a big thing in Tampa. He'll bankroll it. 
because he, he hates to see them go down and he'll do it anonymously. She, so he said, he's a hero to a lot of these people who have made a living at fairs and the, the amusement people, but he loved roller coasters and he's an expert on roller coasters. So my, one of the first things I said to George, George, you've had a roller coaster career with the Yankees. <laughs> I try to throw roller coaster in as much as I could. You've had a lot of ups and downs. I'm wondering if you if you have a, an attraction to roller coasters. It's amazing you say that, right? It's amazing you say that because I absolutely do. I and there we go. So sometimes you take a little tidbit, and you could take it and run with it, and that's what I remember from George. That's amazing. And one of the things you just mentioned there, Roy, for our audience who, who are not aware, you are, are an incredible impressionist. So we'll, let's get to some of those, but let's get back to Tyson because you wanted me to ask you about him. And I think in the same vein as Steinbrenner, where there was kind of two sides of him, I mentioned, I remember reading your words about Tyson saying, you know, he started out as kind of this innocent kid and then right. he seemed to turn over time. What, yeah. what happened there and what's your Tyson story? Well, in one word, it's fame. Fame changes a lot of things. You can talk all you want about money, but fame is intoxicating and entitling and can make you a, a good Good deal nuts, you know, but I had Tyson when I was 19 years old also, and then all the way up to when he was 20 or 21 when he fought for the title and became the youngest champion ever when he beat Trevor Burbick. But my story is the night he beat Michael Spinks. I think you might have been at that because you said Atlantic City. Yeah, yeah, and it was over before it started almost. I I flew across country uh, to get that fight, did some interviews before the fight. And the, the fight lasted 91 seconds. Now, I could tell you that Mike Tyson was very confident, as he had a right to be. Sure. And Michael Spinks was not confident, <laughs> which, which, by the way, he had a right to be. <laughs> I could tell you because Michael Spinks came on the show about two weeks before the fight. I said, Michael Spinks, regarding the Tyson fight, are you concerned about the way in? And he said, no, man, I'm concerned about the way out. <laughs> So I love that, right? And then the night of the fight, they're giving I'm, I'm in third, third or fifth row or something like that. I remember Richard Pryor was right in front of us. He came in to watch the fight. And there were a lot of celebrities there. And I could hear, it was so close to the ring, I could hear before the opening bell, the instructions being given out to the two fighters, Mike Tyson, and Michael Spinks. And then as I'm watching them getting instructions, Mike Tyson goes to, to Spinks, tonight, I'm going to beat the crap out of you. And Michael Spinks goes, I know. (laughs) And he did. He really did. 91 seconds. The fight's over. Now, this is the incredible story. Fight is over. I'm running to get to the press room. Anybody who's ever been in covering an event knows the best thing to do is race to that press room so you can get a a seat really close to the podium so you get your question. So I'm running. As I'm running, I hear a commotion behind me. And I turn around. It's Mike Tyson. He didn't even wait for the verdict of the fight. He just stormed out of the ring with his six members of his entourage. And he's going to the press room. And it's just me and a group with Mike Tyson behind me going to the press room. And I turn around and I see Mike Tyson and he sees me. He goes, hey, Roy, Roy, come over here for a second. Come over here. Right? I'm going, oh, my God. Mike, congratulations, you just knocked that. No, don't worry about that. I want to talk to you for a second. How you doing? Like I was at a freaking mall, you know? Like this had nothing to do with reality. He goes, I want you to know something. I was watching up close last week. 
He just, he just decimated some guy 45 seconds before. And I'm watching your show and you had your father on talking boxing. I was very impressed. He knew a lot about the sport. He knew about Benny Leonard and the early Jack Johnson and a lot of the great fighters that I admired. Will you do me a favor? Tell him how much I enjoyed the, the, the appearance on your show and how much I would like to meet him someday and give him my very best. Right. Now, these are the days there's no cell phone. So I go to a pay phone and I call my father. It's 1130 at night. I wake <laughs> him up. I said, Dad, you're not going to believe this. I'm at the Mike Tyson fight. My father goes, wait a minute. Mike Tyson is a criminal, a bum, one of the worst people who's ever been in sports. You, have, you shouldn't even be bothered with this. He should be in jail, that idiot, <laughs> right? I said, wait, Dad, just wait. He just said he saw the show you were on with me two weeks ago, loved the show. We were. He just literally knocked out Spinks. He pulls me aside in the hallway to tell me how much he enjoyed you and how you were a great guest and he wants you to have his very best wishes. Long pause, long pause. My father goes, well, you know, Mike Tyson is one of the great champions we've ever had. There's no question about it. So he learned, my father, my father, if you gave him a compliment, that's all that mattered. Didn't matter if you could, Charles Manson give him a compliment, he would have been happy. You know? Well, you, you had the same experience, Roy, right, with uh, Nixon, right? Nick, very similar. Nixon, I interviewed him in, in I think, 94 four or three and he for some reason took a liking to me and we're doing this and it's only about baseball that was the only rules we had we couldn't talk watergate although i slipped a couple in at the end and we're changing tapes and he goes you know i enjoy your show uh, but the show i enjoy most of all in your show is when you have your dad on and I'm, I'm blown away by this, that he actually watches the show with my father. I call my father, same thing. I said, Dad, I'm with Nixon. Oh, that bum, he's a criminal. He should have been indicted. That guy should be in jail. I said, yeah, but he said he enjoyed your show with, that you were on. He goes, but he did a lot of good things too. He was a great president in some respects. <laughs> it's That's only hilarious. about the compliment, yeah. Robert. Of, of only course. You were the best thing on ESPN. And as I mentioned, you had an amazing presence. And I look forward to watching you, Roy, up close every day at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. And then one day I was looking and I couldn't find you. And the uh -huh. question that entered my mind then, and now I have the opportunity to ask it now, and it's on behalf of all the listeners who love you out there, what happened? Well, for whatever reasons, most of them economic, ESPN didn't want to renew, um, which I respect. I'm a big boy. We all go through this. Uh, I thought there were other opportunities coming to me with Fox at the time. It uh, didn't happen. And so more or less, um, I, I, I was free to do other things. And I did another show for Mark Cuban's network. I did a show for PBS. I did a, sh I did a bunch of different things. I've had interviewed people outside of sports. I did interview with everybody from Burt Backrack to uh, David Foster and some other people. I've been doing a, you know, a lot of shows, but they haven't been seen nationally. Would I love to do it again? Of course I would. I, in fact, we we're pitching a series called Up Closer, Up Closer. I like it. Uh, for next year, whether it goes or not, we don't know. But, you know, again, I, I tell you this, I have no regrets. I mean, I don't sit, I don't sit around wistfully and longingly about what I should or shouldn't be getting. I had an unbelievable run. No one bothered me. I did thousands of shows. I'm the luckiest guy who's ever done it, really, truly. Plus, I mean, how many people can say one night, they're interviewing a Bob Knight, and the next night they're opening for Lou Rawls in Las Vegas, which I did. 
I mean, I've had a diverse career and I'm, I'm, I've written four books. I sing, I have a CD out. I, I just have had a ball. And so I don't have any regret. You know, today we live in a world as Twitter and Instagram stories, athletes and entertainers only allow for the press now limited access. They interact directly with their fans and uh, they skip through the media, but they use social media one-on-one. -on -one. Yet it feels like there's a need for more mindful and circumspect journalism and interviews as crafted and refined by no other than Roy Firestone. So hopefully, and I think it's gonna happen that the people are gonna realize that there is a real need for the work you do. Well, thank you. I, I, I wanna mention something. Something happened last week that we all know about. Naomi Osaka pulled out of the French Open. Right because she had a lot of anxiety and some, maybe some depression. And there were a lot of people who felt that she uh, was disrespectful to her sport or the, the rules or the contract that she had, which said that she had to do these interviews. She is a prime example of somebody I would have loved to have had. And I, I would talk about the anxiety and talk about the, the depression and talk about being booed after she beat her idol, Serena Williams at the Australian Open and talk about where it comes from and talk about being from a mixed race. Father was Haitian, the mother was Japanese. Talking about things that I love to talk about, life, not just did you beat so-and-so in straight sets, who cares? At least I don't care. So that's a perfect example of somebody I would have loved to have had. And I think perhaps I, I could have opened the door for her to talk openly about her her anxiety and her fear of being interviewed or being asked questions. I've had people on my show who didn't want to be interviewed. I had one guy who, who, who uh, Lester Hayes, who was a cornerback for the Raiders, you might remember. Oh, yeah. And he had a very bad stuttering problem. And he says, I only seem to stutter when the microphone is on. I said, well, we'll turn it off then. So he starts doing this thing and we're recording this after we said we were turning it off. No stutter talked about what stuttering did to him and how he was afraid to talk to people and it cost him his confidence and he had to overcome it. All of this without a stutter. And, and I said, okay, you ready to roll? He goes, yeah, but I think I may stutter. I said, it's okay, we got it already. We just recorded that. It was really revealing. And I think that's the word. I think revealing for me, my show was that. If it, it wasn't, I'm not an expert, never claimed to be an expert. I couldn't tell you about strategies. I couldn't tell you about strong side linebackers versus weak side corners. I, I can't do that. But what I do like to think is I, li I like to think that I can talk to people about their life and times. And that if for whatever success I've had, that would probably be the, the, the calling card I had. And I believe no matter what people tell you, oh, it's a soundbite profession now, I don't buy it. I actually think my my type of interviews is more viral than just about anyone's or anything out there right now. And I'd love to do it again, but again, if it doesn't happen, I've had a great life, great career. I think all of our lives have pivotal moments and you've had, you have a wonderful voice and an incredible range. When did you know you had this gift for singing and entertaining? Oh. I mean, everybody's seen Roy in Jerry Maguire, uh, but I don't know if everybody knows that Roy is an accomplished singer impressionist. He does monologues. He does corporate events. He's just really multi-talented. When did you realize you had this passion and this gift for singing? Well, I, I here's the thing, Robert. I was first a vocal impressionist of singing impressionist. So I would do impression of Sinatra or Smokey Robinson or Tony Bennett. Or oh, bring Gordon. it, Roy. Bring it. 
Uh, well, it's kind of hard without music. Right. But, um, I, I, I want to be around, <laughs> let people love. You know, Tony Bennett, that kind of. <laughs> okay. Uh, something like that. Or uh, or I'll do something like, look at me. I'm as helpless as a kitten up a tree. <laughs> One time Johnny Mathis came on our show and he had heard that I did impression. I was worried that he would be offended. So we played a clip of me playing on audio only a cassette in Las Vegas, him doing the national anthem as if Johnny Mass would do them. Right. We cut back. Mathis thinks it's really him. He goes, where did you get that? That's what he mean. He goes, I don't remember doing the national anthem anytime recently. I said, that's me. He goes, no. I said, yeah. He goes, that's unbelievable. That's that. I thought that was me. What a great compliment that was. But in answer to your question, I, I always wanted to be a performer. So I hid behind the vocal impressionist bits from my real voice. And only until about 1995, say, of all the years I've been doing this, did I decide to sing in my own voice. And I recorded a jazz album with a Grammy-nominated band called Hiroshima. It's also out called Another Voice. It's also on YouTube if people want to listen to it. And if they want to buy it, they can go to RoyFirestone.com. But... I hid behind the impressions. And then finally, I decided I don't want to hide anymore. I'm going to sing in my own voice. And I've been doing that for a year. In fact, I even have a bit now. Some of my 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 favorite singers included Glenn Campbell. I do a bit about Glenn Campbell. I don't do an impression of Glenn Campbell, but I, I sing Wichita Lineman in my show. It's a really cool moment in the show. I also sing like the Beatles. Uh, I, did, I was able to create with green screen effects me performing with the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. It's in my act. So these are all dream come true stuff. And, uh, but I, I've always wanted to be a singer. I think singing is the most authentic thing that I do, strangely enough. And I, I want to follow my authenticity to, to every last breath I have, because if you if you live an authentic life, you're a happy person. Oh, just I know you got to jump. So just a couple of quick questions. Sure, Impressions. Who was your first? Who was your favorite? And how do you select your subjects? My first ever, ever interview or interview on the TV show? Impressions. Oh, first impression. Okay. Uh, I oh, God, it's a long story. I did a John F. Kennedy impression when I was a kid, little kid, at a pageant in Florida where I grew up. And it was, it was 62, 1962. So I was what, seven years old, six years old. And I was kind of a cute kid. And let me say this, I did all that stuff, right? And I got my, my mom gave me the clip on tie and the whole thing. And I'm, it's my first taste of some kind of, some kind of celebrity, even in elementary school. Girls would come up to me, that was so cute. I'm going, well, this is, I kind of like this. Then unfortunately, President Kennedy gets killed. Right. And now these very same people who were all hanging, wanting to hang around with me, now I'm like a leper. They don't want to talk to me. They don't want to know. I'm a sad person. It's a sad thing. So I had to go through that. It was actually a little trauma for me as a little kid. So I started with a Bobby Kennedy. Same, Same thing. thing right. I stopped doing Kennedy. Oh my gosh. But that was my first impression was John F. Kennedy. Okay. Uh, last my, my favorite impression. Hmm? Well, it's hard to say, but I really enjoyed doing my Keith Jackson impression because Keith Jackson was... <laughs> a hero of mine and David Letterman heard me on the Larry King show doing Keith. I'll do it for you in a second. 
And he booked me on the show because of the Keith Jackson. That's the only reason he wanted me to do the impression. And I came on and I was on four different times with Letterman and I had a ball. But my favorite thing about Keith was, and I'll pay off this whole segment with my impression before we go, was Keith got wind of the impression and he wasn't pleased. He thought I was mocking him and he was not happy. And then finally, people over, over a period of time said, Keith, don't you see? He admires you. And I did. I really did admire Keith. And I, I, I thought he was the greatest. I thought he was one of the greatest announcers of all time. And we went, he went from not wanting to have anything to do with me to coming on the show, getting a kick out of me doing an impression. And when he passed away, his wife, Turianne, who's still alive, and she's been, they were married almost 60 years she said, would you do me a favor, Roy? Keith would have loved it if you did an impression at the memorial service. So I did my Keith Jackson impression at his memorial service, which was a great compliment. So I'm going to close off with this impression of Keith Jackson before we say goodbye. I really enjoyed uh, uh, joining you, Robert, and I thank, thank you, you for Roy. Thank you. But <laughs> it goes like this. Well, hello, get about this Kit Jackson Cottage Football 2022. And I tell you, we've got a real burn burner for the Cottage Football CFA. It'll be the proctologist from Johns Hopkins University taking on the big red suicide machine from Jack Kevorkian Junior College. And Rodney Anderson Rose on the right side. He's got some run with the 30, the 20, the 15, the 10. He's hit and cracked and fumbled. Oh, Nelly. By the way, Keith never said whoa nilly. Sure he told me that on the show. He goes, Roy, I've never said whoa nilly. Oh, I man. said, I know you didn't, Keith. That's just well, an added I, attraction. Thank you so much, Roy. I had so much so many more questions, but we'll get to them hopefully another time. We'll do it another uh, time. I want to mention that you have a book out. Roy's got a book, Kobe and a boy named Roy. I'm getting it from my son. He's eight years old. He's gonna love it. And Beautiful. I thank you. You are a hero. I know we're the same age. I don't care. I love your work. Keep going. Thank you. I appreciate it. By the way, if people want me to sign that book personally, they can go to RoyFirestone.com, order it there. There's also three other books and my CD, so I can plug a little of everything. Sure. And uh Thank you for having me, Robert. It was a pleasure to be on Guys Radio. Please come back. Thank you so much, Roy Firestone. There's never been a better time for men to be whoever they want to be, yet it's never been less clear who men really are. Guys Guy Radio, starring author Robert Manny, is on KCAA every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Whether it's relationships, sex, wellness, or spirituality, join Robert as he interviews the experts about how men and women can be at their best. Guys Guy Radio. Better men, better world. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, what a terrific conversation with one of the all-time greats and one of my personal favorites and somebody I really respect because of their talent, but also the way they handle themselves and have just been at the pinnacle of uh, the profession that I'm working in now, which is uh, interviewing and hosting a show. And there's none better than Roy Firestone. So again, I'm so appreciative of Roy stopping by the show. And what did we learn? I think we learned one of the main things is, you know, Roy has been very special in that he's had his pivotal incidents in his life and his career. And it, it played out right in front of America and he's handled everything really well. And he's bounced back and he's, gotten through every step of the way when it comes to uh, challenges, career challenges, personal challenges, and 
He's really been somebody you can really admire, in my opinion. I don't know him well, but he was kind enough to come on the show. He was very easy to work with to get him here and get set up, and I am filled with gratitude because I love his work, and uh, I had a blast talking to him. So, Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening on KCAA here in Southern California, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 10.50 AM. The show replays on Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time on KCAA. You can catch the podcast and the YouTube drop on Thursdays, so you've got no excuse not to listen to or watch Guys Guys Radio and Guys Guys TV, which is the YouTube channel, because we're everywhere. So you can listen live, you can download, you can stream, you can watch it, and you can grab Guys Guys Radio on over 25 different global podcast platforms. So very appreciative of of you folks out there sticking with me because uh, you see all the different types of guests I bring to the show, and it's all to get some information out there, to entertain you and get some information out there that'll help you uh, live your best life. And as I always say, you know, you don't, I don't expect everybody to use everything that every one of my guests has to say, but there's some good tips. And I've learned a lot interviewing. That was show number 468 that we're just finishing up now. And I have learned a lot. And I hope you've, uh, I hope along the journey, you've learned some stuff too that can help you live your best life. So my website is robertmanni.com. You can go there. You can download three free chapters of my novel. The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love. You can check it out on Amazon or wherever else you buy your books and you can read the reviews there. But it's basically about two men in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money. Uh, A guy gets asked to write a column about men for women and initially he declines. Uh, It's his ex-girlfriend who's asking him to do this. And then ultimately, based on a series of inciting incidents, he decides, I'm going to write that column. And the name of the column is The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love. We've also got over 300 blog posts on my website, so it's robertmanni, M-A-N-N-I.com, so there's lots of info there for you also, and you can also catch me all over social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, just everywhere uh, I have a presence, so and I'd love to hear from you. So thanks so much. I also want to thank my producer, Chris, who does such an amazing job, and also the folks on the, in the band Noba for allowing me to play their song, Uninspired. N-O-B-A is the name of the band, and that's kind of our lead theme music. And we've got a lot of great guests coming up. I'm booked right through the summer, so I'm going to be with you. I hope you come along for the journey on Guys Guys Radio. So we're going to see you next week. And as I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. <laughs>